What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Titan Size Podcast. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of the Titan Size Podcast, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. And for a little bit on today's episode, we are going to have a special guest with us. He writes for the Draft Wire. He used to write for Draft Breakdown, which is a site that I know the three of us love. Um, and he also covers the Titans for Titans Draft Wire. So he kind of made sense as the perfect draft guest to have on because he knows the draft like the back of his hand, and he covers the Titans as well. So we're welcoming Justin Mello onto the show. Justin, thanks so much for taking time and joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure. Uh, thanks for having me. So um, when you look at this draft class, and and kind of an update for our listeners as we're, we're starting sort of the draft coverage process, uh, the three of us are, are at the learning phase right now. We're still kind of diving into the prospects um, and, and figuring out who we like. And I'll go ahead and I'll start with this question. The player that I kind of fell in love with more than a lot of other people did last year was uh, Evan Ingram from uh, Ole Miss because I saw him as the next sort of Demarius Thomas type of player, just an athlete, uh, a freak catching the football. I saw him as less of a tight end and more of an outside receiver. And he was interesting because there was a lot of argument as to what he was. Is he a receiver? Is he a tight end? If he's a tight end, can he block? So I want to go ahead and ask you, who do you see in this draft class as kind of the Evan Ingram, the outstanding athlete who you want him on your team, and he's probably a borderline first-round talent, but no one really knows what he is? Uh, that's a tough question. If I, if I had to single out one guy who right now I would say I think is an excellent athlete, but I have some questions about the football player, I would go with Malik Jefferson, a linebacker hmm. from Texas. Uh, he's a guy who's going to really pop, uh, you know, really, really showed off at the combine. I imagine he'll stick to the numbers that he put up there. Probably not going to do much at his pro day, but this is a guy who's got, you know, three things that you look for in a player size, athleticism, and he's very, very physical. He's a very athletic guy with lots of range, um, you know, 
doesn't have to come off the field on third down, can cover tight ends and running backs alike. My question is, uh, he's raw. You know, there's a lot of potential that you're factoring in with him. To me, right now, he's more athlete than football player. I think he's going to get a lot of looks from a, from a lot of different teams. And, uh, you know, it wouldn't shock me to see him pop up in that first round conversation, just as Evan Ingram did, as you mentioned. But for me right now, this is a guy whose physical attributes are better than what I see on tape. So I got a lot of questions about him, but I think teams are going to be very, very intrigued by him. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring up Malik Jefferson because I watched a couple of his games and uh, it seems like at times throughout games he just kind of goes goes missing or goes invisible and he's not really making the type of impact that you would expect a, an athlete of his caliber um, to make. And um, I, I'm going to stick with inside linebackers while we're at it because the Titans, um, they're going to need an inside linebacker, probably a starting one with Avery Williamson leaving um so are there any inside linebacker prospects you like in the middle round um and would you wait for guys like maybe Darius Leonard or Sky Moore uh late in the draft instead of opting to go with an inside linebacker in round one like Jefferson or like Leighton Banderesh I do like both of those guys I think it depends on the Titans uh, taking a look at their needs you know they're, they're going to need to put someone in the middle of the defensive line still uh with you know Sly Williams being released and missing out on Adama Kung's uh, linebacker to me is a very big need. Uh, I have edge ranked as my number one need for the Titans. I think they need to get younger uh, on the outside. And, and at the end of the day, I think it's it's a much more important position uh, than the than the inside linebacker position. If you're looking in the middle rounds, I like a kid you mentioned there, Darius Leonard. He's not a guy who tested great at the combine. But I see him kind of as today's linebacker. You know, he's one of those hybrid safety types who, again, can can cover. He doesn't have to come off the field on third down. Uh, athleticism to boot, a lot of range, really good in coverage. Also on tape, a really good blitzer. He's someone who they sent a lot, and he's got the closing speed to get to the quarterback. Another guy I really like in the middle rounds is uh, Dorian O'Daniel from Clemson. This is a kid who's a very versatile off-the-ball linebacker. Again, a ton of range to his game. When I put the tape on, I watched him cover tight ends. I saw him play on key third-down situations. He's a guy who has sideline-to-sideline speed. And if the inside linebacker position is something they're thinking about addressing later on, then those are two guys that uh, I think they could potentially identify. Another could be uh, Fred Warner, linebacker out of BYU, who I had the pleasure of interviewing, a guy who had an excellent week at the Senior Bowl. That's really where his draft stock kind of started coming together, really flashed uh, at off-ball linebacker down there. Guy who has a really high football IQ. He's going to test really well on the whiteboard once you know coaches sit him down and ask him questions. Locates the ball quickly. Got the speed to close and make wrap-up tackles. Uh, at BYU, he's someone who consistently dropped in coverage, and I thought that's something he did really well. He sort of got that ability and range to turn and run with his man. Another guy I would qualify as uh, today's linebacker, quote-unquote. Yeah, I mean, we talked about some middle-round linebackers. My strategy for a long time, because of how quickly edge rushers come off the board, is draft you know the fifth or sixth edge rusher, which is what you generally get at about pick 25, and then try to find somebody in the second round. What do you think about Jannard uh, Avery, the linebacker from Memphis? He's kind of a, a he's just a really good athlete. He kind of flashes on film, but if I'm taking an edge rusher in the first round, I'm trying to get him in the second round. Do you have any thoughts on that? I do. I think Avery's actually, I really like him on tape. I think he's a guy you can probably get later than the second round. I think guys like, uh, you know, Malik Jefferson, Dorian 
you know, Daniel, uh, as I mentioned, Fred Warner, even Jerome Baker from Ohio State, at Sky Moore potentially. I think those are guys who will probably go before Avery. Uh, he's a guy who's a really good athlete. I'm, actu- I'm actually scheduled to interview him in a couple of days, so I'm excited about that. Uh, as you mentioned, re- really good on tape. I thought he really flashed on tape to me. He's a guy who I kind of discovered late into this process, to be honest with you. I only came across him maybe uh, two, three weeks ago when a colleague of mine uh, tipped me off on him. But uh, he's a good player. He's someone who intrigues me a lot. And I do think he's someone that would make a lot of sense in round three or four. Uh, I-, I do think you can get him later than round two, though. Great. As you mentioned, the Titans do need to uh, get younger, uh, not just on the, uh, the at the outside linebacker position, but really all along their defense. You know, they've got the big tough guys in a, a Jarrell Casey, Daquan Jones, a physical cover corners in Malcolm Butler and Logan Ryan. They've got a hard-hitting safety in Jonathan Cyprian. But this draft, particularly for the defense, needs to be all about speed. Um, Lorenzo Carter is someone that, that flashed at the Combine running a 4-5 in the 40-yard dash, but he's also kind of borderline, you know, what is he? Is he really an edge at the end of the day? Is he an inside linebacker? Uh, but you also have player, like you mentioned, Malik Jefferson. Um, in that 25-pick range, and really even in the second round, just give me an athlete. It can be an edge rusher, it can be an inside linebacker that you think would help the Titans' defense get faster, someone who you think would be there at that spot and would be a complete difference from what they got a couple years ago in Kevin Dodd, who even if he had ended up being uh, good in the NFL, is not the type of player they need. They don't need any more of those you know, gritty power rushers. Well, yeah, someone who sticks out to me, and, and I believe he's got a visit scheduled with the Titans, is Josh Sweat out of FSU. Uh, he's someone who I think is slowly starting to work himself into the conversation uh, into the first round. I think 25 is definitely within the realm of possibility for him. This is a guy who's got a really, really quick get-off uh, on tape. I was also surprised by the amount of strength he has in his hands. He tested completely out of the gym at the Combine. You know, his numbers were really eye-popping. Uh, one thing with him is the tape was a, was a little bit lackluster, but I will say I thought FSU played him out of position a lot of the times. Uh, they put him at the four-tech or the five-tech. I'm not really sure why they did that. I think his best naps uh, came when he was playing the wide four. Uh, someone who's got speed to boot, and, and if you're talking about the Titans' defense, adding something they don't currently have, which is speed, uh, especially at the edge rush position. You know, I think Derek Morgan and Brian Arakpo are both great players, uh, but they'll be on the wrong side of 30 soon and I think the Titans need to start planning for that and I think Sweat is someone who makes a lot of sense uh, if he's there at 25. Also with Morgan and Arakpo, both of their contracts expire at the end of the season and it's hard to foresee a team re-signing two 32 and 33 year old pass rushers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Which is why I think for me in the first round of this draft, Edge is the number one priority. Uh, another guy, I don't know if he'll be there or not but I would say Harold Landry, uh, a pass rusher out of Boston College. He's one of my favorite pass rushers in this class. I think there's very few players in this draft period who had a better combine than him. Uh, he ran the 40-yard dash in 4.64 seconds. You know, Broad Drump was uh, well over 9 inches. He also had a 36-inch vertical. But what was most impressive to me was his three-cone time. Uh, he posted a 6.88 in the three-cone. really shows that uh, explosion and get-off that is so important out of an edge rusher and a change of direction skill. He's as explosive of a pass rusher as any guy in this class. You know, he was kind of hurt in 2017 and, and you know, ankle 
bothered him all year, so the production kind of fell off a cliff for him. But he did have 16 and a half sacks in 2016. He was an absolute sack machine. There's not many guys who bend like him. He's actually someone who I interviewed a few months ago. I got to spend some time with. And, and listen to this quote that he gave me. I wish there was a way for me to bend as low to the ground as motorcycles do when the rider's knee touches the ground when he turns the corner. I mean, if that doesn't tell, if that if that's not a pass rusher that you want on your team, I, I don't know what is. <laughs> yeah, um, I want to talk to you a little bit about the wide receiver landscape in this draft. Um, with I agree that edge and inside linebacker are probably the two biggest needs for the Titans right now. Uh, and given their free agency moves, getting Deion Lewis and Malcolm Butler, uh, and then signing two offensive linemen, uh, it seems that wide receiver is probably the third uh, the third biggest need on the team. They do seem to have a top four with Corey Davis, Rashard Matthews, Taewon Taylor, and Tajay Sharp, but uh, a lot of those players are kind of unproven commodities. Um, and I think this draft actually uh, shapes up well for them if they do want to target a receiver uh, in the middle rounds because it doesn't seem like a very top-heavy draft at the position. But there's a lot of depth with players like Christian Kirk, uh, Deshaun Hamilton, uh, Equinemius St. Brown, and uh, Richie James, who you really like. Um, so how do you think the Titans should attack the wide receiver position? And who are the players that you think fit their, uh, fit their team? Uh, for me personally, I would like to see them really. Those first few rounds to me are, should be all about defense, really. So I'm looking at the edge position, as we mentioned. I'm looking at the linebacker position, and I'm looking at the defensive line. If they're looking at a receiver, I don't think it should be before round four, uh, maybe even round five. But there are a couple guys in that range who I really like, as you mentioned. For me, uh, one of my favorite receivers in this class is Richie James from Middle Tennessee State just down the street there. This is a guy who really was a Swiss Army knife type of weapon uh, for MTSU. I've even seen him take carries out of the backfield. Now, he, he, he was hurt in 2017 uh, throughout mo- a lot of the year, so the numbers aren't as eye-popping as they were in 2016. But if you go back and put that 2016 tape on Richie James, it's as good as any tape any receiver has in this class. And I'm talking even, you can stack his tape up against the top guys. He's someone who's he's a very smooth route runner, uh, very quick to get in and out of breaks. This is a guy who was the, the complete vocal point of the, the offense. Uh, you know, the defenders came into the game knowing that, but it still didn't slow him down. He's someone who's just had a knack for making big play time and time again. Really, really good in the open field as well. Excellent vision, excellent speed. Picked up a lot of yards after the catch. He's so much, you know, so much speed, and he's so elusive in the open field. That's the guy I really, really like. I know the Titans interviewed him at the combine. I believe they interviewed him at his pro day as well. So he's someone I'm hoping as they continue to look to add some speed on the offense. You know, Matt Lafleur, obviously new offensive coordinator, is very interested in uh, big plays and and having some speed. I think Richie is a guy that they don't really a guy like Richie they don't really have on the roster right now. So he's someone. I'd really like to see them target. The way you're describing him reminds me almost of Randall Cobb. I I can see a little of that to his game. Uh, And this might be a big comparison. Uh, I know he's got some big shoes to fill, but I see a little Antonio Brown to his game where he, you know, he might not be the biggest receiver in the draft. He may not be coming from the biggest school, but he's a technician. I mean, he's a really excellent route runner. Uh, just like Antonio Brown is, feet, uh, footwork is incredibly crisp and smooth, very, very quick. Uh, again, he's a guy who I really, really think is going to outperform his draft position. I see him as a, a top 75 talent in this class. I don't know if teams see him the same. I think he's someone who might slip beyond that due to his size and due to the injury that he had this year. But I think if teams let him get out of that, if teams let him get out, excuse me, of the third or fourth round, I think they'll be making a big mistake. 
we talk a lot about offense. I think this draft, especially day one and day two, have to be about defense. And we talked about edge and linebacker being kind of the number one and number two need. Uh, there's a couple of guys who continuously get mocked to us, and one of them that I really don't understand as much as Sam Hubbard. Um, I get that there's the Ohio State connection, but at 25, I just I didn't see the guy on film that I think you take with a first round pick. Um, he always seemed to shine as a complimentary. You know, both of the Bosa brothers, you know, Nick in his second year and Joey in his third year, when they were opposite of him, drew a a lot of attention, and I, I feel like he really thrived as the number two guy, guy. But that's not somebody I would spend a first round pick on. And then he goes out and runs the best three cone of any of any edge rusher in the draft. And I'm, you know, I'm rethinking that base uh, because I've been pretty vocal, and I think the most important drill for an edge rusher is the three cone. So I don't know whether I should trust my eyes when I see him as more of a secondary complementary pass rusher, or whether I should t- judge the. Uh, player from the numbers when apparently he's a lot more flexible than I thought he was. What do you think? Yeah, you bring up a really good point. Uh, you know, that three cone time of six, uh, six, eight, four, I think shocked everyone. I don't think we really saw that on tape. Uh, he strikes me as a guy who's a better football player than athlete. And I get it. I mean, when you're looking at guys coming off the edge, we're all looking for that athlete that's going to leave us drooling. But I think when you look at a guy like Sam Hubbard, I think there are a lot of factors at play, and I, I personally do think he's someone who, who wouldn't be worth the 25th overall pick. Uh, when I put the tape on, I see a, a really well-rounded prospect. I see someone who can both rush the quarterback and stuff the run. Uh, I know a lot of people over that, that Ohio State program. I've also interviewed a number of players uh, from there in the recent weeks. And, you know, everyone who I kind of even had some private conversations about him, they said nothing but good things. You know, this is a guy who's got a nonstop motor. Uh, he's, he's always in pursuit of the ball carrier. Very high, highly talented guy. Snap awareness is excellent. Versatile, can move around the whole line, do a lot of things. I think he's one of those guys where – as you mentioned, he doesn't pop on tape as an as a crazy athlete, but I do think he's a guy who loves the game. I think he's got a lot of character. I think once teams get him into the interview room in the meeting, he's someone who's going to really wow uh, the decision makers with his football IQ and his dedication to the game and his awareness really overall. So I understand why he's someone you may not be overly excited about when you see the athlete, but I think of him as a quietly very good football player who will be productive for a long time for a number of reasons. But you never, you never see him as a guy who will end up with 10 sacks, which is a really rare mark. People want to throw that around like it's common. 10 sacks is rare, but you'll know, you don't see him as necessarily a Harold Landry, Bradley Chubb, even maybe Marcus Davenport, I don't know where you sit on him. You think of him more as a, like a Derek Morgan for Titans fan. You know, somebody who can be really good, but their peak is probably one 10-sack year if they get another good pass rusher beside them. Yeah, I see him a bit like I saw Taco Charlton last year for Dallas. You know, I, I didn't hate that pick by any means for the Cowboys. Uh, he's another guy who I didn't think was going to be a you know 10-sack-a-year player, as you mentioned, a very rare feat to hit. I think he's just quietly a very good football player. I think he's one of those guys who is very unlikely to bust. Like when you mention a guy like Marcus Davenport, you know, he's a guy who's obviously very explosive. We saw that at the Combine, you know, 10-yard split. He put up a time of one six three. When I saw him at the Senior Bowl, he's a guy who had a very up-and-down week, and there's questions about the competition. You know, on tape, he's someone who won with uh, short area bursts. 
bust more than anything and quickness. But I see how, you know, I see him as a guy who's more likely to bust than, than Sam Hubbard. And I'm sorry if I'm kind of playing to the stereotype here, but I, I just see Hubbard as a guy who's going to quietly be a very good football player, may never be an athlete who wows, but he, he's more of a technician. And that's not to say that technicians can't be 10 sack a year kind of guys. It's, you know, not, there are other ways to get to the quarterback. It's not all about speed and bend. Hubbard is someone who's very good with his hands. You know, he, he kind of wins with his hand placement right off the snap. And that sort of allows him to even convert speed to power. So he's a guy who I think is going to be a very effective football player at the next level, even if it's quietly. I want to move away from the Titans for just a second, who obviously have their franchise quarterback in in Marcus Mariota and now a backup in Blaine Gabbert, and talk a little bit about the quarterback position because I think uh, everybody everybody thinks Josh Rosen is number two, right? No matter who you ask, it's, well, I like this person, but then Josh Rosen, number two. Most people seem to think that Sam Darnold is number one. I I know you had Josh Rosen as number two, or as number one in in one of your – your, your top 100 boards, um, but just sort of break down the quarterbacks for us because I don't think any of the three of us, uh, for people that cover the Titans and had to follow the career of Jake Locker, are big believers in Josh Allen. I know Matias really likes Baker Mayfield. I'm not as high on Baker Mayfield as a lot of people are. I'm, a, I'm more of a Darnold guy. Just kind of break those guys down for us, if you will. And I will add one last thing to see if you agree with. When I watch tape of of Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen, I absolutely see Matt Ryan in Josh Rosen. And when I watched Sam Darnold, it looked like Derek Carr trying to do an Aaron Rodgers impression. (laughs) I like that. Uh, I'm not really one for to make many player comparisons. It's never been something I do. But I will say I do have Josh Rosen as my quarterback one, as you mentioned. I think he's the best quarterback in this class. If I was a general manager of the Cleveland Browns, uh, for me, he would be the number one overall pick. I think he should at least be in the conversation uh, at that spot. Uh, I don't think he will be, it seems like, from what we're hearing, but I think he should be. Uh, The first thing that jumped out on me, sorry, the first thing that jumped out at me when I put the tape on for Rosen was his ability to place throws into tight windows. You know, I think I think he's a very accurate guy. I thought we saw that at the combine. I I thought he thought through the football really well. His ball placement was very crisp and on the money. He's someone who throws receivers open. I think that's very important at the next level. You're not going to get a, you know, the the kind of old saying is you don't get a ton of separation at the next level. You know, covered is open. And I, I think he's someone who could throw receivers open. I have him as the best anticipatory uh, thrower in this class. Mechanically, I think he's very clean. I think he's the savviest uh, quarterback in this class mechanically, which means I think he's ready to play right away. I believe he's got all the tools to be a franchise quarterback. You mentioned Darno. No, uh, I think he's going, Sam Darnold, I think he's going to go number one uh, to Cleveland. I, I think that's kind of the worst kept secret in football right now. Um, the way I view him, I, I like him, don't love him. You know, He's a guy who I think has all the tools to be a franchise quarterback. Uh, they're obviously going to make him the face of the franchise, whoever drafts him. He's a big guy, strong arm. He's, he's a very accurate guy. I think my favorite thing about him is the way he navigates the pocket. I think he does really well in that area. You know, with quarterbacks, we always talk about having that internal clock, being able to sense pressure even when you don't see it. That's not really something you can teach, and I do think he has that. He's also a very good athlete for his size. You know, many times on tape you'll see him pick up yards with his legs when he when he has nothing through the air. My my, my big thing with him that's you know questionable to me is still the decision making. Uh, in 2017, 13 interceptions in just 14 games, almost an interception a game, and some of those were very very ugly so I still have an issue with some of the decision making it's too many turnovers for my liking there's a 
a lot of natural and raw talent here with him, but I think it's going to take some time for him to figure it out. I think whoever drafts him, uh, if it is Cleveland, I, I think they need to be patient with him and you know, can't expect too much too early. Hugh Jackson has talked a lot about uh, Tyrod Taylor being the starting quarterback uh, without a question, and you know he's getting a lot of flack for that. But if they draft Arnold, I, I don't think that's a bad idea. I think it might be a you know a, a good thing that he sits for a while behind Taylor while he continues to learn the offense and get ready for the next level. And moving on to Josh Allen, uh, I, I'm, I feel like I'm almost alone on this guy. <laughs> I, I like him. I know a lot of people don't, but I do like him, and I've liked liked him from the beginning. I, I wrote an article way back in December asking if he was the best quarterback in this class. Now, I, I don't think that's true, but I thought it was worth having a conversation mm-hmm. at the time. Uh, when, I, when I put the tape on, he's someone who I see has all the intangibles that you can't teach. You know, big, strong-armed guy. Uh, you know, footwork and mechanics have been an issue with him. I, I think those are two areas where he needs improving, but I don't think it's something an NFL quarterback coach can't work with it and help him get better. He's a big, strong-arms quarterback who's an exceptional athlete for his size. He's going to get drafted very, very early, whether that's you know Cleveland at one, uh, you know the, the Giants or Jets at two or three. I, I think his, his basement might be Denver at five. And he's someone who I think, if he puts it all together, watch out. Uh, you, you also mentioned Baker Mayfield. I, I know one of you mentioned you're not a big fan. Uh, for me, I, I am a big fan of Baker. He's my... Uh, number two quarterback in this class behind Rosen. We can debate the off-field personality all we want. On the field, for me, what I saw was an incredibly impressive prospect who sort of uh, uh, makes the plays that aren't there at first glance. You know, someone who kind of has that raw, special, God-given ability to extend plays outside the pocket while keeping his eyes downfield and still delivering strikes into, into tight windows. You know, I know there are some concerns with him coming out of a spread offense, uh, me personally, I'm not concerned with that. He's someone who I thought has uh, has gotten better as a passer every year, especially within the pocket. I think I saw a lot of improvement in 2017, and I think if if, if he slips past you know the five or six mark, you know Denver at five, let's say not not six, the Colts have six, but I mean in, in sort of that top five range, I think a team will regret it, and I, I think a team might come up to get him, whether that's Buffalo at 11 or Miami at 12. If he's still available at four when Cleveland are making their second pick of the first round, I imagine Buffalo or Miami are, are going to call up to that pick about taking a quarterback, and that could be Baker Mayfield. Um, I noticed that you didn't get to Lamar Jackson, and I wanted to ask you about <laughs> it um, because – I'm a huge fan of his, and I think if I had a top ten pick and I needed a quarterback, uh, he would absolutely he'd be one of the top three guys that I'd consider. Um, I think he goes through his progressions, go through goes through his reads very well, has fantastic arm strength, uh, and I think you can tailor an offense around him um, that would be absolutely deadly. Um, what do you think about him, and where do you think he's going to go in this draft? Considering there's so many quarterbacks that um, that that teams will be looking at. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I didn't mention him in that group, but I do like Lamar. I like him a lot. I think he's the most electrifying player uh, that we saw in college football this past year. He's possibly the best athlete the quarterback position has ever seen. Uh, I do have some concerns regarding his accuracy, but that's an area that I think he's improved in every single year, and the proof is in the numbers. You know, 54% completion percentage in his first year uh, versus 59% this year. 
I think it's ridiculous that we're still hearing some people talk about him and say that he needs to switch to wide receiver. I don't think that's something that makes any sense at all. Uh, it's embarrassing, really. It's disrespectful to him, in my opinion. Um, I view him as a quarterback, and I think he's a quarterback who teams should see value in developing as he works out his kinks at the position. I do think he has a lot of work to do. Uh, I think myself, you guys, and probably every uh, the fans, really, I think everyone likes him more than NFL teams do. That's sort of the sense I'm getting. I do think he'll go in the first round, but I think it'll be after the four guys that we just talked about. Uh, I think he'll probably be the fifth quarterback taken. Uh, he's a special playmaker. Obviously, it's very, very simple. And he's someone who could turn into one of the most dangerous and electric players in the NFL immediately. I think if you're a team like Jacksonville or Pittsburgh, picking near the bottom of the first round, looking for a, a quarterback to bridge the gap, so to speak, you know, Bortles is obviously, you know, they haven't really Garbage. committed to him long term yet. <laughs> well, I'm glad you said it. I'm glad you said it. Uh, obviously, they haven't committed to him long term, and they probably shouldn't. Uh, Pittsburgh, obviously, with Ben Roethlisberger getting up there, you don't know how many years he has left. He's someone who's openly talked about retirement. I think those are two franchises who could potentially look at Jackson as their quarterback of the future. I also would talk about the uh, Arizona Cardinals, who I believe are picking 15th. You know, they're a team who are probably going to miss out on the top quarterbacks, but they obviously have a need there. You know, they're rolling out Sam Bradford this year. I'm not sure how long he's going to last there. So I think that's another team. And I would say a dark horse. You know, you have some dark horse teams like uh, the Los Angeles Chargers or even the, um, sorry, the Los Angeles Chargers and the New Orleans Saints. You know, two other teams, obviously, when you're looking at guys like Phillip Rivers and Drew Brees, who you question how much time they have left. Uh, Lamar Jackson makes a lot of sense in, in those spots as well. Yeah, I kind of want to steer back uh, to a Titans-centric uh, thing. And I've dealt with the uh, bust of Chance Warmack probably harder than anybody else because I was sure <laughs> that he was going to be the next. I mean, I, him and David DeCastro in back-to-back years, I've never been more convinced that those were changing the guard at offensive line, which I, I really enjoy studying offensive line. It's one of my favorite things to watch. However... I, having lived through that, I can't understand why a team would spend a top 10 pick on a guard. And I'll give you an example. Uh, Marshall Yonda was widely considered one of the best guards in the NFL for his whole career. And he, you know, he missed last year, he missed 14 games last year. In that time, the Ravens went from 21st in points scored to ninth. So they moved up 12 spots in how many points they score, scored per game with they're you know the best guard in football not playing in a division that has pretty good interior disruption so for me i cannot understand making that kind of move and people are talking about him as high as number two to the giants i get that people don't want to stick their necks out in a year that's dominated by quarterbacks because i honestly don't think there's just a ton of talent in the top 10 that would be, you know, top three picks, if not for the quarterback. I think it's it's hard for me to kind of say this. I think there's some talent that's going to get pushed up, mainly because there's not really a third edge rusher who's really that, you know, dominant guy. It's kind of Landry and Chubb for me. And when that happens, when you don't have those flashy players at flashy positions, guards and interior linemen usually tend to get pushed up. So, Explain to me kind of, and I, I don't know your stance on Nelson, explain to me what you think of Quentin Nelson and how you would value him in today's NFL. Yeah, I'm somewhere in 
the middle of, of everything you just said. Uh, I'll, I'll start with my Nelson evaluation. I think he's the safest player in this draft. Uh, probably the most talented, definitely the most uh, you know savvy and technically sound player. I think he's a plug-and-play interior offensive lineman from day one. Probably someone who will go to multiple Pro Bowls over the course of his career. Uh, when I put the tape on, he's someone who's, a, you know, I describe as a people mover in the run game. He generates a lot of power and easily moves defensive linemen off their base. We saw him down at the Combine, he just kind of reiterated everyone's feelings about him. He was absolutely flawless down there, especially in position drills, where I thought he looked incredibly smooth. Uh, you mentioned Chance Warmack. And, and I agree with you on that point. I, I think Warmack busting for the Titans at number 10 is probably the pick that bothers me the most of the last 10, 15 years for the Titans. Because when you take, to me, there's nothing worse than taking a guard that high and having him bust. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm somewhere in the middle here. I, you're right. Like, you know, a lot of people are talking about Nelson really, really early. I, I do really like him. I think the Giants would be absolutely insane to take him at number two. Uh, I think if they stay in that spot at two, I think they have to take a quarterback. I think it'd be very silly to turn down trade offers of multiple. You know, that roster, it's not just a quarterback. I get it. That roster is in shambles, uh, top to bottom. But if they stay at number two and turn down, you know, a, a bevy of picks to move down, then it, they should be taking a quarterback. They, they should not be staying at two to, and turn down those trade offers to take a guard. Uh, me personally, I don't like the thought of taking a guard in the top five. I'm very much with you on that. I think Nelson is a guy who, who is worth a, you know, a top 10 pick. I think maybe if you're Tampa Bay at 7 or Chicago at 8, two teams that could use some help on the interior, I, I like them better at those spots than I do at two, uh, you know, at, at 2 with the Giants. I think the Colts at 6 may consider him as well. Uh, I imagine they would look to someone like Chubb or Barkley before they do Nelson, but I imagine he'll be very high on their board as they try to work Andrew Luck back in and do a better job of protecting him. But I'm in I'm somewhere in the middle. I think he's a very good player. I think he's worthy of a high pick, but I'm personally not a fan of uh, taking a guard in the top 5. I just don't think they affect the game enough, you know. Yeah. Uh, for me, I'm when I'm in the top 10 or the top 3, top 5, I'm looking at three things. For me, I'm looking at a quarterback. I'm looking at someone who can hit the quarterback or I'm looking at someone who can protect the edges of the quarterback. I'm looking at a tackle. So for me, I put the most emphasis on those three positions. Will has brought this up before. You know, so let's say you have the number one pick or even the number two pick. Would the Giants trade the number two pick for a 25-year-old Joe Thomas or for Taylor Lewan? Probably. Would they trade the number two pick for Zach Martin or a 25-year-old Marshall Yonda? Probably not. Yeah, uh, I imagine they wouldn't. Um, so for, for me, at two, it's a no-brainer for them. They have to go quarterback, in my opinion. It would be really, really ridiculous to me if they stay at two and, and don't take a quarterback. I would honestly be shocked. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, I, I have a, another quarterback question for you, and, and it's an interesting one. So for the purpose of this question, I want you to assume that off-field political stuff doesn't matter. We're talking purely on-field talent. I want to give you four names at the quarterback position who you you would have to choose before, between for to be your starting quarterback tomorrow. Um, and those guys are, and I want you to rank them one to four, Baker Mayfield, Jacoby Brissett, Johnny Manziel, and Colin Kaepernick. 
Wow, okay. Very, very, very interesting. I might have to get those names again. I, I know from the four that I heard there, I would have Baker Mayfield as number one. Um, I think he's the most talented quarterback on the field of that group. Again, without question, he's my number two quarterback in this draft overall. I have him ranked inside my top ten on my big board. I believe I have him at number seven. He's someone I'm very high on, so he would easily be number one for me in that group. Uh, number two for me would be Colin Kaepernick. Uh, I think it's obviously more or due to political reasons that he's unsigned at this time. I think the on-field talent is there. He obviously had some, some years, that, you know, he's had some up and down years, but for me on pure talent, he's easily number two there for me, uh, without a doubt. Uh, number three for me in that group would be Jacoby Brissett. Uh, I think he's someone who did a very admirable job this year for the Colts. I think he's someone who we probably don't give enough credit to. He was uh, thrust into a very, very difficult situation this there in Indianapolis, and I I thought he did the best that he could this year, given uh, everything that went on. Uh, Manziel would be number four for me. I was actually never a fan of his, and that I didn't even factor off the field issues into my evaluation. I had a lot of disagreements at the time uh, of his draft year with a lot of people over Manziel, because he's someone I, you know, people called me crazy. I, I just didn't see it on tape. I saw someone who I thought was uh, pretty inaccurate, and I thought got very, very lucky with a lot of dangerous throws that I didn't think he would get away with at the NFL level. I thought Mike Evans bailed him out time and time again. Uh, very poor throws. I saw a lot of punts come from his arm that I thought resulted in some some pretty miraculous catches. So even not taking the off-the-field stuff uh, into account, he would have always been number four for me in that group. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I remember in that, that draft, I just was screaming that Mike Evans was one of the best, you know, high point and jump, you know, jump up and go get it wide receivers and how so much of Manziel's production came from that and how, you know, you'd watch that bowl game that Manziel was in his last year and there were guys open in the middle of the field that he just wasn't re- – I mean, he just wasn't going through his reads and he wasn't finding the open man. So I- I'm kind of right there with you. Um Somebody we haven't talked about that seemingly everybody talks about every time there's kind of draft conversation is Shaquem Griffin. Griffin? I always mess his name up. Um, But he's somebody that I think really fits what uh, John Robinson likes in a pass rusher. Um, Kind of that really productive, athletic enough, moves around, can kind of do some different stuff. I really think that, you know, and, and John Robinson met with him, you know, this week you know, during the owners meetings or whatever, I really think he's somebody that the Titans are going to target, but I have a hard time spending anything higher than a third round pick on him. Am I off base? Do you, do you think he's a top 50 guy? Do you think he's, you know, shouldn't be on day two? You think, you know, you think he's overvalued because of kind of the heartwarming story. Where are you on him? I have him as a top 100 guy on my board. I think he's around uh, round three or fourth round guy. Obviously, the story is incredibly heartwarming. I'm not taking anything away from him. I, I can't imagine anyone, you know, try to convince this guy that he's not going to have a successful career. I think, uh, you know, Bill Belichick once had this quote that said, uh, talent sets the floor, character sets the ceiling. And I think that's something that's very true with Griffin. Uh, I think, you know, nobody wants it more. I do think he's going to be a very productive player at the next level. Uh, I think he's a versatile guy that you can move around. I think he can play a little inside linebacker. I think you can put him out there on the edge. I, I don't think he can play full-time on the edge, uh, given the, the, you know, the weight that he's currently at. He's not someone I can see holding up there, especially in the run game. But uh, you're right. I do see him as, I think, a third or fourth-round pick. Uh, I don't see him as a top 50 or top 64 kind of guy. But I think he's someone who's um, 
who is going to have a good career. I think worst case scenario, he's a special teams ace who can really do some great work on the, uh, on that side of the field. But I, I do think he'll find a way to get onto the field and play some meaningful snaps. And I, I think he's, as I've said, very versatile, someone who you're going to move around, uh, you know, he can play in coverage as well. Very, very, very good in coverage, gets his hand on the ball, a lot of speed, sideline to sideline kind of guy, a lot of range as well. So I, I do think he's someone who uh, is going to accomplish some, some pretty big things at the next level. I don't think he's as athletic as Jamie Collins, but could you see him in that kind of role, how New England used him there? I do. Yeah, I think that's a very good comparison for uh, for his role. I think he's someone who, you know, just as, as as the Patriots did with Collins, he's someone who moved around a lot. And I, I see the same thing with Griffin, whether he's chasing the ball carrier on first and second down or, uh, you know, chasing after the quarterback on third and passing, you know, third, third and long pass, obvious passing situations. He's someone who uh, defensive coordinator would be very wise to, to move around in order to maximize his skill set. Someone that, you know, and, and we sometimes underrate how important that is to a defense and how much it does even just by confusing the offense, you know, you, when they just have to account for him and kind of see where he's lined up on every snap and you don't know uh, exactly what he's doing. So a uh, very, very versatile skill set. Someone who I would definitely, uh, I would bet on to be successful. Justin, one last question, and then we're going to let you go. Um, the Titans hit at number 25 in the first round and then obviously have the 25th pick once the second round comes about. I don't think there's any dispute that the top two needs at this point are edge and inside linebacker. Give me the two best fits that you could realistically see the Titans ending up with. You could see the Titans ending up with both of them to fill those needs at those two spots. Yeah, I think Leighton Vander Esch makes a lot of sense for them. Linebacker from Boise State. This is a guy who's a you know a freak athlete, two hundred and you know shows up at the combine at two hundred and fifty six pounds, and he ran the forty yard dash in four point six five seconds. You know, vertical was a thirty nine five. You know. It's, totally ridiculous, which was tied for second and best among the linebacker group uh, down there. Not just an athlete, though. You know, very good football player when you put the tape on. Someone who has excellent excellent instincts, excuse me, uh, reads the game really, really well, and because of that, he's consistently in a position uh, to make plays due, due to that high football IQ. You know, I interviewed him a few weeks ago. This is a guy who walked on at Boise State at, uh, you know, a, a self-described uh, 215-pound scrawny linebacker. You know, he's someone who really committed himself to getting better, uh, committed himself to the weight room to, to put on the muscle that he has. Uh, someone who really genuinely loves the process of improvement. He really loves the game. When I interviewed him, I think he told me five or six times that his favorite time of year is the off season because he loves getting better. He, and he genuinely loves uh, being able to put that work in. He's someone who I think when uh, I imagine the Titans will bring him in as one of their top 30 visits, I think when they get him into the building, he's someone who's going to vibe really well with Mike Vrabel and John Robinson being a high character or, you know, football IQ kind of guy, you know, both Robinson and Vrabel talk about uh, team first coachable players. And in my time spent with Van Der Esch, uh, that's exactly how I would describe him. Uh, uh, second guy, I would say uh, going back to someone we talked about earlier, I think Josh Sweat or even uh, Sam Hubbard. I think they both make a lot of sense and it'd be very interesting to see where those guys go. Cause there's someone who, you know, they might have to take at 25 or if, they're lucky there's someone who's available uh, with their pick in the second round. I think both those guys make sense where they both fill a need. You know, obviously very different players. With Sweat, you're going to get more of that, um, you know, exciting athlete coming off the edge, a lot of speed that they don't really have right now. Uh, with 
Hubbard, you're going to get someone similar to Van Der Esch, who I think is really going to wow them in the interview room once they get a hold of him. I think he mentioned the Titans showed a lot of interest in him uh, at his pro day, so he's someone I imagine will be making a top thir- uh, a, a thirty. Uh, sorry, will be making a visit as well. One of the thirty guys that they'll bring in. I think these three guys stick out for me, and I imagine uh, if I was a betting man, I would say one of those three guys is going to be the pick at twenty-five. Justin, thanks so much for your time. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on. Awesome stuff. Keep up the good work. I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me on, guys. Pleasure was all mine. Before you head out, let everyone know where they can follow you on Twitter and keep up with your draft stuff. Yeah, sure. You guys can find me on Twitter at Justin M underscore NFL. That's J-U-S-T-I-N M underscore NFL. You can catch my work on the Draft Wire, part of USA Today Sports Media Group NFL Wire Network. Website is draftwire.usatoday.com. Also on the Titans Wire, which is a part of the same USA Today Sports Media Group uh, NFL Wire Network. Uh, that's at titanswire.usatoday.com. I'll be providing a ton of draft coverage over the next few weeks. I've got some, some special pieces coming up on the Titans Wire as well, uh, interviewing a former Titans uh, coach from last your staff going to get some really interesting material out of him uh, as well as on the draft wire if you guys if you're a fan of the draft then it's kind of your one-stop shop for the draft in terms of uh, you know big boards mock drafts and my player interview series uh, I'm, I'm currently publishing an interview with a player who will be drafted every second or third day so there's a lot of content on there trying to provide sort of a different outlook on the draft there's a lot of draft work out there so what I'm trying to do is sort of bring people um, conversations with these kids, kind of give you some insight into their yeah. personality and also get some exclusive material out of them. So uh, that, that's where everyone can find my work. Thanks, Justin. Really appreciate it. My pleasure was all mine. So before we close out, uh, let's talk about a few more of the uh, acquisitions the Titans have made since the last time that we had an episode. Uh, and Sue has decided to join the Rams, so that saga is officially over. The Titans have made three additions in a uh, former Tampa Bay Buccaneers Swing tackle guard Kevin Pampfile, I think is how you pronounce his name. Uh, former Arizona Cardinals backup quarterback Blaine Gabbert, formerly a top 10, I think, pick of the Jacksonville Jaguars in 2011. And um, Xavier Suafilo, a, a high second-round draft pick of the Houston Texans several years ago at guard. So let's hit those three guys individually real quick before we get out of here, starting with uh, Kevin Pampfile. Um don't know that much about him. Didn't know he existed until about three or four days ago. A- any thoughts? Uh, yeah. Um, apparently he was born in Haiti, so that's cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've, I've read that he can play guard and tackle, so that's good. There are some good videos about him, but I've never really seen him play, so I can't say much about him. But I will say this. The fact that we've signed... Uh, two guards, uh, one of them who can also play tackle. Uh, I think it's become pretty clear that um, the front office is perfectly set with the offensive line the way it is. Um, and I, th- I think that, it could also be a sign, though, that Quentin Spain's days are numbered. Well, maybe, but no one's made an offer for him, and I, there hasn't been any rumors that someone will make an offer That's for what him. I mean. No it, one wants to make an offer on him, and there's a reason. Yeah. Okay, that's yeah. fair. But I don't. I don't think we're gonna go out and um, either sign a a, a a a higher profile offensive line or even draft one. Uh, I think it makes it pretty clear that that we're set um, with our offensive line the way it is. 
it's really weird, um, and I'll, I'll kind of talk a little bit about Suofilo in terms of just him being another offensive lineman. If the Titans roster stands as it is now going into next season, they have nine offensive linemen on the roster, which is, I mean, it's a lot of offensive linemen. I mean, usually you end in the, you start the season with seven, maybe eight, if you've got a really good you know depth guy, but. It doesn't make any sense. Corey Levin seemed like the heir apparent inside for Josh Klein. And then they hired Matt LaFleur. And now it seems like Spain is the odd man out, which they're all very athletic linemen. You know, if you look at Jim Coburn's numbers, he's kind of laid it out there. They're all very athletic. I mean, there's no, no reason why they can't all work in a zone blocking scheme, which, you know, is not easy because nothing in the NFL is easy to work with, but it's not, you know, you don't have to pull, which is a big thing. Like last year, the Titans were afraid to pull Quentin Spain, and it was obvious. You know, they never did it. They always pulled Klein, who must have been the better of the two. Always ran he, power left, and it never worked. Yeah. And, and, and <laughs> he wasn't that good at it. And when we wanted to run power right, we would move Klein over to the other guard spot and tip off what we were doing. So, Man. you know, <laughs> it, it's, it, was, it was a really stupid scheme, but we've been able to – but, you know, it, they clearly didn't want Spain to pull and would do anything to prevent that from happening. Although, you know, so on paper he's athletic. When I watch him, he doesn't look unathletic. However, that you know, either John Robinson or somebody is saying we need to upgrade a guard, and what they've decided to do is just bring in a whole bunch of bodies and let them all compete for that left guard spot. And maybe – I don't know. Maybe Levin is. They think he's just a center or something. But I, what all this says to me is that the left guard spot is not locked down by any means, yeah. and that it, there's going to be like a four man competition if they don't draft anybody for that spot. Well, so let, let's talk about Xavier Suafilo right now too, because he was a former very high draft pick. Um, I know a lot of people really liked him, and he came out the same year as uh, as Zach Martin did. Um, Obviously, he has not been good with the Texans. Uh, it's pretty similar to like a Jonathan Cooper situation almost. Um, what value do you think he has, and do you think he does have a legitimate shot at beating out Spain? Um, if, if we're talking to me, uh, I think he has zero percent shot. I think he's terrible. I don't. <laughs> I don't think. He's, I mean, I shouldn't say that. I, I, I haven't. It's not like I've sat down and watched all 16 games of Xavier Suafila. When I see him play, he's gotten routinely beaten by Casey and other defensive linemen when he's played against him. I don't think he's been very good. The Texans have had a bad offensive line for years, ever since they've gone away from Kubiak's you know zone scheme, which really helps offensive linemen. Ever since they've gone away from that, you know, Dwayne Brown was good, but even he was kind of flagging towards the end when they traded him to the Seahawks. So, I don't know. I mean, you take an offensive line from a bad offensive line that didn't even want to keep him. It's it just a bad look. It's like you're taking the leftovers of a bad team. I, I don't – maybe he's great. Maybe, you know, Vrabel saw him and saw that the offensive line coaches were just putting him in terrible positions or whatever, but – as it stands now, based off everything I've seen and read and heard from other people, there's no reason to expect him to be the guy that earns a roster spot, you know, when it comes time to make those cuts. Mm-hmm. Could just be a Tim Lolita situation. 
Yeah, yeah that, that's place. Like, except Lido made more sense because he was like they used him as like a full center, tight end, and Paul Kaharski was in love with him. So like there was a whole bunch <laughs> of reasons why he should. have Brian Schwenke was always better than Tim Lolito, and Dennis Kelly was always better than Tim Lolito. Yeah, and yes, it's weird to me that Schwenke wasn't re-signed because I, I guess it's a malarkey thing, like that. Like malarkey was the guy who really stood up for. Schwinky and wanted him back or whatever, but Schwinky is not a bad player. Like he, if you've got to have a seventh offensive lineman and he's got to be able to play the interior of the line, you could do worse than Brian Schwinky. Yeah. But I, I, I don't, I don't know. It's it's very clear that they're trying to bring in guys that they're familiar with that they've liked at some point in time. With you know John Robinson being involved in bringing Pam File in to Tampa Bay and with Vrabel coaching. Uh, around Suofilo last year, that they're bringing in guys that they either know are hard workers or there's something to them that they like. But, I mean, Spain is not getting a free pass, and I thought Spain would get an extension this year. But they're not – I mean, not only is he not doing that, but they don't really even seem to want him on the team that much, which, you know, I I don't get. You know, if if you want a guy who's – good enough to play either guard spot and who can, you know, who's played backup tackle for the Titans before and done it at a you know pretty decent level. I mean, you don't need to go out for that. I thought Spain was that guy, but I, I don't know if there's a locker room thing. I don't know if he's wanting way too much money. I don't know what the deal is, but I mean, the Titans just don't seem to want him around at all, you know, based off what they've done this off season. Last, mm-hmm. last topic uh, before we go, Blaine Gabbert. Um, Makes a lot of sense, I feel like, as this team's backup quarterback. One, because he has a much bigger arm than Matt Castle. And I wrote something today that's going to come out in the next couple of days about why he's such a good fit. One of the things I wrote is, you know, he's one of those quarterbacks where you say that the, the cliche, he can make any throw on the football field. Blaine Gabbert can make any throw on the football field. His problem has always been horrific decision-making. And when he was in Jacksonville, he looked uncomfortable to the nth degree. So... You know, now he's a veteran. He's 28 years old. He still has the arm. He still has some of that, the mobility that made him a top 15 draft pick back in 2011. And, you know, at the backup quarterback spot where it's not really an exact science, you take that. You take the athletic guy who can make any throw on the field who's probably going to have a lapse in judgment every now and then because he's the kind of guy who can get you to the place of winning games. And if you coach him and if, if the play calling is right, he won't lose you games. We saw it firsthand last year when the Titans played the Cardinals. Yeah, I mean, he beat us and he beat the Jaguars last year. So there's that. Um, I'm not, not like going to go to bat for him. Like, like this guy's going to be amazing for us, but we don't need him to be. He just needs to be somewhat competent and better than uh, Matt Castle was. Um, and that really I, shouldn't way, be hard. I, I, like, I didn't realize that anyone other than Mike Florio worked for Pro Football Talk. But apparently someone does. I don't remember what the guy's name was. He wrote today, mm-hmm. well, we don't really know if Blaine Gabbard is better than Matt Castle. Yes, we do. We most certainly yeah, we do. do. We absolutely do. <laughs> yeah, because at least um, if things aren't going well in the passing game, Gabbard can at least scramble and actually get yards on the ground um, and at least make things happen outside the pocket, which, I mean, Castle couldn't even make things happen in the pocket. All right, but regardless, like you said with Gabbard, he has a strong arm. Uh, he's a bit inaccurate, and his decision-making isn't great. 
Um, but but that's fine. As a backup, it'll be fine. And, and I'll say this: he's never played on a team as good as as this Titans team. Um, not even close, really. Um, I guess I guess Arizona last uh, last year would have been the best team he's ever been on, uh, and they were still a bit of a, a bit of a train wreck. So I'm excited to see what he can do with Lafleur, who's um, who's had a lot of success with quarterbacks in the past, um, and with quarterbacks who have even. Uh, more limited skill sets than um, than Gabbert does. Yeah, so uh, listen to these numbers. Uh, five touchdowns. Okay, so it's over a seven-game span, five touchdowns, seven interceptions, and a 5.3 yard per average, or yard per attempt. That's what Jared Goff had in his rookie year. He took that guy and turned him into the quarterback of – well, and I mean, obviously – with Sean McVay. It wasn't him by himself. I'm not saying that, but LaFleur took that quarterback and put him in an offense that made him and that team, the number one scoring offense in the league. So when your stats are that bad and you look at Blaine Gabbert's, it's not, I mean, it's not insane to think that he can become a decent backup. I mean, the LaFleur and the Shan, or not Shannon, the LaFleur and McVay system is very, uh, helpful for for bad quarterbacks and I mean that in the nicest way for Blaine Gabbert I mean when you got all the tools to do it you're and your problem is making decisions on the fly and reading defenses and all that kind of stuff the best thing you can do is have an offense that makes clear easy reads and that's what this will be so getting him in this offense is it, it's not I don't want to sell it like I'm in love with him like I think he'll be as good as Brissett was or anything like that I don't think it's that, but I think in terms of backup quarterback where you never get superstars anyway on the free agent market, you could do a lot worse than a guy who beat Jacksonville and Tennessee last year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, that's going to do it for us next week. It's probably just going to be the three of us again. Uh, we'll talk more draft. Um, and at some point we're going to get Jim Coburn on the show pretty soon. Um, we're really getting in the draft season, we're getting to the point where we start knowing top 30 visits and that sort of thing. And it's really exciting because I've said it before, more so than the Super Bowl or day one of free agency or anything else, draft day is, is the single most exciting day on the NFL calendar. And I think both of you guys would second that. Yeah. So fun. And, uh, it, you know, you talked about it real quick, the official visits. If you see that, and Dunton, this isn't, you know, they talk to some guy at a pro day. If you see the terms official visit with a name, that's very important. I know Matias wrote about some of them last year, and I wrote mm-hmm. you know, briefly on kind of what we know so far this year. But those are a real thing. Last year, uh, Jonu Smith, Corey Davis, and Adoree Jackson all had visits. So yeah. it just in case you didn't don't know, you can only have 30 official visits. So that means that – you know, three out of the 30 people they invited, they drafted and they drafted them high. So it's, it's a real serious, you know, thing like John Robinson doesn't use them just to kind of get a feel for a guy. He uses them to, you know, really evaluate if a guy's a good fit. So you pay attention to those when you see them and we'll try to put them out there and let y'all know. Random. Do you remember yep. if Kevin Dodd was a top 30 visit? No idea. I think he was, but I, I wouldn't swear to it. Um, that'd be interesting to look at. Well, we'll look at that and let you know on the next episode. A bit of a teaser there. 
Um, <laughs> until next time, for Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. Yeah, breathtaking information in the next episode. Kevin Dodge. It's, it's really going to change your approach to the Titans football. Oh, and we can talk about the new uniforms next week, of course. That's happening right. on Wednesday, I believe, now of next week. So until then, uh, for Matthias yep. Wadner, Will Lomas, I'm Luke Worsham. Thank you for listening to the Titan Size Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. We will talk to everybody next time. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.